other side of the ball. Give people an idea as to uh, where we think things may improve or uh, or if there is to be a whole lot of improvement expected out of this group. So um, looking forward to the, <laughs> the general series. Uh, always fun doing these preview series. Not sure the conversation tonight will be quite as fun as the uh, the first two that we put together when looking at some of the strengths of the defense, but eager to get into it nonetheless. As always, the people in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, make the Nolcast possible. Thank you again to them for what they do. And with that, we will jump into the offensive side of the ball preview for the 2020 season. Let's do this thing, man. So quite the task here uh, for Coach Mike Norvell and Coach Kenny Dillingham as they try to take and uh, improve Florida State's offense. And, and to, to kind of set the table, we need to kind of jump back to last year ever so briefly and discuss what Florida State's offense was last year. Florida State's offense took a major jump uh, in 2019 from 2018. In 2018, they were uh, I mean, damn near one of the worst offenses we've seen in Tallahassee in a long time. And uh, in 2019, they were considerably better. They were top half of college football, 49th in SP plus offense. I think pretty similar in FPI. They made major jumps in terms of yards per game and yards per play, which obviously we prefer the latter because it controls uh, for pace. And speaking of pace, they also uh, were able to go a lot faster. In 2019, they actually went about as fast as they uh, as they wanted to go in 2018. Uh, they were inconsistent as hell, but very explosive. That is pretty much what you're going to get from a Browse offense that has a pretty poor offensive line, charitably average at best, I think we maybe could say quarterback play. Much better in the pass game than the run game. Again, I think that just came back largely to a, a physicality element. It wasn't that hard to, to stop Florida State's run game, even with Cam Akers, just because of the, uh, the, the physical nature you had there up front or the lack of it. Uh, and they were 124th in havoc rate allowed, which uh, is, again, it's kind of amazing that Florida State was able to be as good as they were last year on off offense, and I use good in, in a relative fashion. But it's, it's so unimpressive that they were able to be as good as they were last year on offense, despite the fact they were 124th in havoc rate allowed. Uh, and, and finally, like the last stat that really stands out to me uh, about last year's Florida State offense. Um, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to give you two. Uh, one is that they were only 48th in solo tackles fourth, or forced, rather. This is a, a stat that Bill Connolly uses to show basically how, how good of a job do you do getting the ball to, to playmakers in space. And ultimately, Florida State last year, you still had a lot of teams that just did not have to, to devote a whole lot of resources to stopping their run game in terms of extra men in the box. And so it was harder to create those one-on-one matchups. And so, I mean, credit to Bryles and his staff for doing a good enough job to, to create those explosive plays to, despite the you know, largely struggles in the run game. And as we discussed, I think, in the preseason last year, we knew it was going to be this way. If you got this team to a passing down, to any kind of negative leverage situation, they were totally dead in the water. I mean, you just knew that if you lacked the, the play-action element, if you lacked any sort of trickery element. If, if, if you just had to get in a situation where you had to just take a straight drop back and pass protect, you were screwed. 119th in passing down sack rate. Only 11 teams in the country are worse. I mean, they, if, if, if you had a passing down uh, as a defense against the Florida State offense, you were sacking them 14.2% of the time. That's just talent up front, man. 
I don't think that's coaching. I think that's just what they had last year. And I'm interested to see what Mike Norvell and those guys can do with this offense. I, I think it's going to be a, a unique challenge, um, but hopefully they'll have some solutions for, for Florida State. And speaking of solutions, Shannon Young and Chad Relinger are, are the guys to go to for your home loan. I did my home loan through those guys. I did my refi through them. Almost 80 Cash listeners have done the same. We know it because we ship the t-shirts off to you guys. When you do it, we're extremely happy to do so. 844-FSU-LOAN. It's great rates. It's great customer service. It's a good experience, man. I mean, like it's not like everybody's like, man, I'm really excited to get a mortgage, but yet you're excited to get what comes with a mortgage, right? Which is your home or if you're getting a refi, your lower rate and you get some good conversation about the Knowles when you call Shannon 844-FSU-LOAN. So let's go ahead and kind of get into Mike Norvell's history because certainly the reason why he got this job at Florida State is largely because of the offenses that he was able to put together at Memphis and then somewhat as well at Arizona State and, and a couple stops before that. Uh, last year, man, their offense was, it was humming at Memphis. They were really good. Yeah. I'll, I'll be interested to hear what you say. I, I literally just walked in the door, Bud and I haven't had a ton of time to, uh, to really talk about what we're trying to do with tonight. I'll start this off by saying that I think on, on the long term that you have a, a great guy uh, and a guy that will bring you uh, some forward thinking when it comes to the offense and that in time you'll see a dramatic improvement. At the risk of being a hater, I don't know that that time is going to be this year at all even. Uh, we've got a bunch of things planned out tonight. I'm not trying to jump ahead of stuff, but when we talked about some of the defensive coaching and improvement there, you're not going to see that. You know, you had some pretty damn good coaches in the offense. I, I think the world of Alex Atkins, Alex Atkins is not one of the best three or four offensive line in the country, which, which is what you had last year, or offensive line coaches in the country, which when you talk to people in the industry. So um, you're talking about a guy who had the eighth offensive uh, overall offense in the country at, at Memphis. Uh, you're talking about a guy that has had a history of really explosive offenses. And in the long term, I think Florida State's got a great piece overall from a, a leader of a program perspective. But, but on this side of the ball that he's overall tasked with brings a lot of value. I think Florida State fans have got to be patient to see that. And, and in time, it'll come to fruition. I'm not sure that time will be 2020. I think you said it well. Uh, like, do I think Alex Atkins could become one of the best three or four offensive line coaches in the country? Probably, sure. Uh, I, I think that he's well-respected, but like you said, I mean, Clements was kind of a no-doubter in terms of, of what people thought of him in the industry and had immediate job offers elsewhere. And I think that Coach Norbell was very happy to get at him. It's hard to sell me that that's a major upgrade at that coaching spot. And maybe there are major upgrades at some of the other coaching spots on, on the offensive side of the ball. I'm not convinced of that yet. Whereas on defense, I think it was very clear that there have been major upgrades in terms of, of coaching. And largely just because everybody's running the same scheme now, which is a plus, you know, as, as opposed to trying to kind of mesh together two different schemes last year, which, which didn't work, despite the fact they kind of thought it would in some ways. I, I have kind of some overall concerns a little bit about, about this year going into this offensively. Norvell's offenses do not actually have, like, they, first of all, they have a, a pretty good history of success overall. They do not actually have a great history of offensive line play, which is clearly where I mean, this team's weakness is. Uh, although we'll talk about tight end in a minute. I, I do think tight end might, might be hard charging for the, for the real trouble spot. 
Uh, last year, they were actually 96th in stuff rate allowed and 90th in havoc rate allowed. And it says something that they were able to be eighth in the nation in spite of that. But I, I have some concerns about that because, look, you don't play good defensive lines in the AAC. The AAC does not send players to the draft, especially not difference makers in the front seven, or at least not very often. Uh, I mean, you had Quincy Roche last year for, for Temple, uh, but there's not a whole lot of guys in that league who get picked highly in, in, in the front seven. Whereas in the ACC, uh, sometimes the ACC lacks good receivers or lacks at some other spots, but they damn sure produce good quality defensive linemen to the league on a year-in, year-out basis. And I'm going to be interested to see you know, how, how do they handle that and, and how, how are they able to scheme around that if they are? I mean, we say how they can do it. I'm not necessarily sure that they will be able to, right? In order to see a big improvement that you're going to need to see this year or that I think fans are hoping to see. But in the long term, man, look, if there's one thing I'm really confident in Mike Norvell, it's that he's going to eventually have very good offenses at Florida State. It's been his track record throughout his entire career. I just don't know if he has the personnel to do it this year. Another area that I think we've seen, maybe a kind of thing we need to issue some corrections on here, a lot of people are expecting to see a much more disciplined team. And I think in certain areas, they might be right about that. But it probably won't show up in terms of penalties. Mike Norvell's Memphis teams were some of the routinely most penalized teams in the country. So if you're like, hey, man, Florida State was super penalized. I'm so glad they have disciplinarian in Norvell. Don't be penalized anymore. Not true. That's actually not backed up by evidence or fact. Norvell's teams are penalized a whole bunch. Now, it probably will be lesser in penalties because they're not going to be running quite as many plays because they're not quite as pushy with the tempo. So, you know, fewer plays, fewer opportunities for penalties. But on, on a per-play basis, his teams are not that far off of Willie Taggart's as far as number of penalties. I think if you're looking for discipline uh, as a reflection of flags on the ground, you're going to be disappointed. I think if you're looking for discipline as far as... Uh, Guys on the kickoff team maintaining their lanes uh, as far as defensive players playing in a role that's asked of them, stuff like that. I think you'll see that immediately. Uh, if, if you view discipline as to how many flags go against you, you may be waiting uh, a little while to, to see some kind of dramatic transformation under Norvell. Yeah, so last year, uh, Florida State 129th in penalties, Memphis 121st. Not a huge gap there. Uh, but I agree with you that I, I think the discipline could show up in, in, in other areas. And I bet you if, you if you actually stripped out like the number of plays run, um, they're, they're pretty similar in terms of penalties per play. So long-term, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot of doubts. Uh, short-term, I have some doubts about just how much improvement we can see this year from the offense. Not to mention something that I didn't put on the outline because I think you and I have been assuming it, but it is something that we need to discuss other than what we've already discussed. And that is they didn't have a spring and they didn't have a real summer. They didn't have seven on seven this summer and all, all that kind of stuff like, like you would normally have. They didn't really have an opportunity to install their offense. I, I, that's a huge problem that's not going to go away with, with, with a couple of weeks of camp, right? Compare them to a school like, I mean, I don't know, give me a school where, where everybody's coming back, uh, Coastal Carolina, right? Or, you know, UNC or just somebody who has a whole lot of offensive continuity coming back. That's a pretty big deal, man. And so, like, you, you've had guys miss time for COVID stuff. You've had guys miss time for you know, some disciplinary stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't know how this is going to look, personally. Scheme-wise, and we've already talked about some about, about what Nor Norvell runs. It's going to be a little bit less shotgun, but they're still primarily going to base out of the shotgun. Uh, he wants to run the ball uh, downhill 
in a little bit different way than, than, than what Browse did. They want to use tight ends more often. Uh, and the other real thing you'll notice is that they're not going to be spreading the field quite as much. Like you're not going to see receivers out beyond the hash marks. That, that's pretty much a, a very pure uh, Bryles thing. Uh, they'll run the quarterback some, but not a ton. I'm interested to see what they do with that this year. But like, I don't even know what their offense is going to look like this year because it's hard to tell what, how much they can actually run of what Norvell normally runs. Like most of their camp is going to be spent just installing their very base stuff, man. You know, it, it's, it's like the third or fourth new offense these guys have had to learn in four years, right? Or, or thir- third offense is as many years they've had to learn. Although I guess with Browse last year, it was, it was different than what Willie had been running, but there were some like base similarities here that there's going to be new terminology, uh, new plays for, for these guys to learn. So this will be, this will be pretty interesting. And I'm, I'm excited to see Mike Norvell attempt to, uh, to tackle this and, He's going to be doing it with a familiar face at quarterback. Old James, old James. We'll uh, we'll talk about uh, Blackman. I mean, I think it's. I think before we jump into to James, it'd be fascinating to see how he responds. Uh, be interesting to see what he does with this year. I think when I'm critical of James Blackman, uh, many times it's very appropriate. I think it's also appropriate that we have to point out, at least in my opinion, that there's probably been no player that's had a more deleterious impact on his overall development than by like the general dysfunction drama and bullshit that surrounded this program for the last three years than James Blackman. He's probably worn it more than anybody else when it comes to the situation he's found himself in, who he's been coached by. Uh, it just has, he's been dealt one of the worst hand of cards that I can remember a particular athlete uh, having to having to stomach. Um, at the same time, you know, James is your quarterback. It will be interesting to see how he operates in a system that I believe is going to be designed to be a little bit more friendly for him, to offer him some more, uh, simple opportunities to see if James grows into a quarterback that takes advantage of those opportunities. You know, James, a habit that he has, a bad habit that he has, in my opinion, is he will hold the ball and he will look for you know, the biggest throw possible, which in some of the situations that he's been put in, I can understand, but he, he has has to fully embrace this offense, embrace some of the checkdowns, embrace some of the hot routes that are going to be installed and operate within it and then let the big play come to him. And is, is James a guy that can kind of grow into that type of player? I think it'll be, be really interesting to see. I'm, I'm totally there with you. And by the way, like I, I do want to point out that you're, you're dead on about that there's been a lot that's been out of his control a whole lot at the same time it's not like james is a terrible quarterback okay he was sixth in the acc last year in conference play in quarterback rating that's not good right i'm not gonna lie like sit here and tell you all that's good six out of 14 is is good it's not acc quarterback play last year was not particularly strong once you got past the top couple guys i you know i don't want to blow smoke here but it's not uh, particularly terrible. There were a lot worse quarterbacks in the league last year, especially when you consider kind of what's around James. Uh, the issue is if this offense is going to become anything better than what it was last year, it, it needs a quarterback who can really overcome a lot of deficiencies around him. And, and I, I think it's fair to question if this staff can get that out of James Blackman. I don't want to sell them short. 
maybe they can. Uh, but so far, like reviews in camp of what the offense has done uh, has have not been particularly good. But they're facing what we think, at least, is a a pretty darn good defense. And throughout the nation, we are seeing that defenses are are ahead of opposing offenses, and that is doubly true in programs where you're having to install new schemes simply because it's just easier to put in a defensive scheme than it is to put in an offensive scheme. Getting him to, to make a little bit smarter decisions, maybe tighten up his motion if they can. I know some of the clips from, from practice have looked good as far as James's motion. However, it's worth noting, I mean, Tim Tebow looked great in practice too with his motion. And then when the actual live bullets happened, he went right back to his old motion. There's a lot of quarterback coaches out there who will tell you that uh, there's not a whole lot you can do with the kid's motion once you get him in college. Uh, but there are some coaches that will tell you that can. We'll see what, uh, what Coach Dillingham and Coach Norvell can do with him in that regard. I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I, I, Norvell has not always had great offensive line numbers at his previous stops, despite, despite the fact they have had pretty good offenses. I will point out that he did a pretty good job at Memphis with Brady White, who I really don't think is that great of a quarterback. I, Brady White's numbers always, always to me look better than actual Brady White's throwing. Like, it's like, ooh, man, this is just not that good. I don't think this guy's an NFL dude. And somehow Norvell finds ways to get some guys wide open for him. I think he ex- excels uh, in terms of scheming guys open. Uh, and, and I think Norvell is a pretty damn good offensive coach. So if he can scheme some guys wide open for James Blackman, that would be a, a, a big help. We'll see how much they can do that, given that I think teams in the AAC had to worry a lot more about Memphis's run game than teams in, in the ACC we'll have to worry about Fort State's run game. Yeah. One final comment from me on James. This isn't a numbers thing. This isn't anything else. It's just, uh, I can't have you be the most hype ga- uh, the guy on the team. And I can't have you be the guy who's staring at your feet the whole time. Cause you're disappointed in the way you're playing. I mean, James has just got to, uh, you really can't even have that at the high school level. You, your quarterback has to be somebody that is somewhat in control of their emotions. And, uh, when it's good, I don't need you necessarily jumping around and and uh, and being the hypest guy on the sideline. And when it's bad, I can't have you just walking around looking like the world's about to end. So uh, hopefully, a little bit of emotional maturity shown there, and a, a guy like I said who's had a had a horrible deck of cards dealt to him on the whole, but uh, remains your quarterback. And it'll be fascinating to see what he can do with this experience. As far as backups, we probably should discuss some backups because obviously this is COVID season and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, we've already seen. And and you did go out and sign an actual high school quarterback, so we've got one of those on the roster to talk about. Fortunately, uh, hold on, let me let me Google that high school. There was a plan, and a plan involved two high school kids signing. Uh, one of them, unfortunately, sustained a collarbone injury, which we've talked about. But uh, Rotomaker is your solid number two at this point. Uh, sounds like if Jordan Travis is going to be used, it'll be situationally and creatively and I'm not sure really where they are with that kid right now so uh, the focus of our conversation tonight will be Rotomaker who's your number two uh, coach's son smart kid played at Valdosta a guy who you know is, is is probably about as ready as you could to be to be a quarterback thrown into a game which means you're not ready at all but uh, I don't think it'll necessarily be a, a huge disaster yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where uh, where Rotomaker ultimately uh, ends up. But a, a guy that I would expect to see play in maybe three or four games this year, whether it be COVID, whether it be injury, whether it be uh, the situation. I you know I don't think we're gonna 
be doing this preview series next year, bud, and not talk about a, a quarterback that's had a little bit of game time. I agree with you there on that. Um, so I've, I've seen Tate in person a couple times. Um, got to see him out, out there at the Army All-America Bowl practices. He, he definitely, to me, looked like an injury replacement out there, which is what he was, I believe, in that game. I don't think he was one of the first guys who was selected. Now, on the positive side, pretty accurate thrower. Uh, and I agree with you from a mental standpoint. I think he is probably one of the more prepared guys to come in and play. Uh, even if physically, I, d- I don't think he has a big time physical tools. He was able to throw the ball a lot in high school, which is important for those reps. I do think that Chubba Purdy, I got the name right. Look at that. Uh, I, th- I think Chubba Purdy uh, would most likely be playing over him had he not hurt uh, his collarbone slash shoulder. Uh, I think az360.com had quotes from his mom on Monday that uh, they had to have a second surgery on uh, on his shoulder, so don't really have a good timetable as far as Purdy getting back. If Rodemaker has to play, I, I will say, just having seen James in person and having seen Rodemaker in person up close, uh, the drop-off there, in my mind, is is pretty significant. So if he has to play like actual decisive minutes in a game, uh, that, that is a decent drop-off, as you might expect it to be for a true freshman. But long-term, I, I think that he does have some upside, and we'll, we'll see what he can do at Florida State. Uh, emergency, emergency quarterback? Maybe a little Travis J action in the Wildcat. <laughs> I think one of the other uh, one of the other names in the mix is no longer in the mix for uh, for the emergency quarterback. So, oh DJ, yeah DJ is. Uh, we won't ever let him get the chance to make the Miami play right. I'll put it that way. It doesn't appear so. So uh, yeah. By the way, you know who the emergency 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 quarterback I think on this team is? Uh, is it that big kid out of Tennessee? No, it's Kai Douglas. Played some cute. Uh, that doesn't some QB. In that high doesn't school, shock me. Yeah, uh, freshman receiver. Okay. So the moral of the story here is James Blackman stay healthy, because this is potentially a problem, uh, a lot that uh, they they don't have they don't have tremendous depth here at this spot. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't. Uh, fortunately, one place that we're always able to go to and feel comfortable with uh, with what part of the roster we uh, find ourselves with is our good friends at For the Table Restaurant Group. Whether it be Manso, whether it be Centrale. Uh, whether it be township there, uh, three great options. want to remind all of our listeners who are going to Tallahassee this weekend to watch live college football. Damn, if that doesn't feel fantastic to say, uh, that you may not be able to tailgate, but you sure can enjoy Madison Social and Township and, and Centrale Township and Madso. Both have massive open-air uh, areas that you can get a cocktail, get excited about the game that you're about to see, probably catch up with some old friends, and uh, just support our sponsors, if possible, in any way possible. Matt and his team have been with us since the first day we pressed record. Great people. And, uh, you know, if you have a chance to go buy beer from them and, and help them through a, uh, <laughs> a stretch of the year that's been ridiculously tough for everybody, then uh, I would certainly encourage you to do so. Guys, get out there, support them. And great point by you about, about the open air. That, that, is, that is no doubt a, a plus of both Madso and Central. So. We probably got to talk about some positions which are maybe a little bit more fun uh, than the than the uh, the quarterback read. Maybe a little bit less fun. Just just kind of depends on what you think. There, uh, running back for the first time in, in a long while, we will not be talking about Cam Akers. So Cam Akers is off to the league, and with him, um, two hundred thirty-one rushes, eleven hundred and forty-four rushing yards, fourteen touchdowns, and it was pretty much all the Cam Akers show last year. Like his blocking 
was bad, uh, to put it charitably. And he managed to do that. Also caught, uh, well, he was actually the third leading receiver on the team in terms of number of catches, 30 catches on 41 targets for 218 yards, four touchdowns. Man, that is a big, big-time guy they got to replace on this offense. And it'll be interesting to see the steps they take to go ahead and do that. And they don't have LeBorn any, uh, anymore either because he's now off the team. It'll be interesting. I mean, I, obviously, I, I hope for the best for any player that, that plays for Florida State. But I don't know that I've actively watch somebody play with kind of a lump in my throat, hoping that they don't get injured on every time they touch the ball, quite like I felt like with Akers last year. Uh, so glad that he was able to go off to the league, get his money. Best of luck to you playing out West. And man, wish nothing but the best for that kid. At the same time, boy, do you have a, you know, you, you're fortunate enough to get Corbin, the, the A&M transfer in, who was hamstring. Honestly, he recovered better from it than I I had real concerns about that when he transferred in as to whether or not he'd be fully ready to go. Uh, and he sure looks like he is. Uh, so you got Corbin, who's probably your, your most dynamic player, at least dynamic player that's immediately ready to contribute. Uh, Danian Webb gives you a decent amount of depth. After that, it starts to get pretty, pretty dicey, to be honest with you. The early indications are of Tofili are that he's got a chance to be a decent player, but probably physically not ready to contribute immediately. Uh, Corey Wren's somewhat of a similar situation, although speed is speed. He's probably the fastest player on the roster immediately. I'd expect to see him situationally. Uh, and then Ja'Kai Douglas is a guy that we just talked about who's kind of in the mix here as well. You know what game I watched the other night on ACC Network? It was a, a real kind of wild game back and forth. 2009, Florida State-Georgia Tech, the lightning delay game. You remember this? Yeah, I, I remember it well. That was an interesting game to me because you had a lot of kind of, I don't want to say no-name backs, but you had some backs who were decent recruits and came in and they all they all ran pretty well in Jimbo's offense, right? It was Jermaine Thomas. It was Ty Jones. It was even, uh, they, they, they lined up in a little pony package and, and number 23 comes in there and, he, and you think he's small now, but number 23 back then, Chris Thompson uh, was tiny. And man, it was, uh, it was interesting to see. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not that down on a running back position. I, I, I'm not convinced that, that Jayshon Corbin is going to be a difference maker for them. But I think he can get the yards that are blocked for him and, and maybe a little bit more. Uh, they like LaDamian Webb, the, the junior college transfer that they, they took, who you know, has, has enough bulk to him. I think he, you know, he, he's car- capable of carrying a load if they do want to run the football a whole lot this year, which I think they might uh, if, if they can get away with it. And then I think you have enough at the backup position. So you have Loris Tofili, who's kind of a slasher. You have Corey Wren, who we know is an absolute speedster. And these are all true freshmen we're, we're speaking about because Florida State signed three of them. And then you have Ja'Kai Douglas, a guy who is also capable of playing slot receiver. I, I think Ja'Kai uh, is a player who Florida State needs to get involved in the passing game. I don't know about his pass protection. I don't know about his you know, great ability as a running back in the ACC. But I have seen him in camp settings against pretty good high school competition, get lot, just in, in one-on-one little option and choice routes, just abusing some dudes. So if they can get in some two-back two, you know, two packages here with Ja'Kai Douglas being one of them, and they can get the opposition to keep their base stuff on the field, then maybe that increases your, your chance that you can go ahead and get something done in terms of getting Douglas soloed on, on a backer or on a safety who maybe can't run with him uh, and maybe you can create some explosive plays uh, or get some crucial first downs 
in that way. Uh, Florida State's run game last year, even with Akers, 97th in rushing SP Plus overall. That's not the best. 112th in stuff rate allowed, 106th in power rate uh, success. Just very little went right for them. They, they did hit some explosive runs at times. Uh, typically, they, they were able to do that when they had tempo going. They, they didn't have very much success at all in terms of just lining up and, and running the football when they did not have uh, the advantage of, of tempo and having the defense sort of uh, you know, sort of off balance, which I believe we had a discussion about this last year, by the way. There were some crucial plays that Florida State hurried up uh, and ran as opposed to taking their time. And I think this was you and I's argument, right? It's like, yes, it didn't work. However, the reason why they're doing it is because we knew what their success looked like when they did not have the advantage of tempo on their side. So anyway, pretty uh, pretty interesting stuff there. It's possible this run game gets better this year. We, we, we shall see. I'm not worried about the, like, the running back room, the bottom falling out. My question in this position specifically is, what does the top end look like? Do they have a true difference maker here? Is Corbin that guy, or is he just exceeding some expectations? Uh, I think you put it well there. I think you know you can find uh, there's a, there's a certain place at running back where if you have decent coaching and you have service enough enough athletes that you can kind of get decent results, uh, which which we think they have. You just are going to notice that you don't have one of the more talented backs in the country this year, uh, and and that's not a like a a high football IQ observation I just made. You're just not going to have Cam Akers who, you know, turns a three-yard run into a 13-yard run. Uh, and a guy who, who defenses have to key on and really build, uh, you know, build uh, their their weekly plan around. Uh, with that, we'll move to, to wide receiver. This should be one of the one of the high points of tonight's conversation. Uh, oh, Mr. Keith Gavin leaves. That was a uh, one dude who I wanted it for so much that uh, that it, it it honestly bothered me. But it's never never clicked. Uh, there were certainly moments where it looked like Keith was going to be the dominant force that he had the potential to be. Those moments were, were unfortunately very few and far between. Treshawn Harrison is another guy who talk about moments or flashes with that guy where it looked like he was potentially the most explosive player on the roster, and you could just never get it. Uh, a couple plays last year where. You know, he almost almost broke a tackle, almost made a big play, but uh, it just never really worked out. So he's back to the West Coast. Nonetheless, you've still got a ridiculous amount of talent here, uh, Tamorian, relatively speaking. But Tamorian Terry is one of the better players uh, in the country at this position. Obviously, is going to be kind of what you build around. Ontario Wilson, we can talk about some. Been some questions with him uh, this offseason. Warren Thompson is back in the fold and appears to be in good graces and, and ready to make contributions. Uh, Jordan Young is another big body with a lot of physical talent. It'll be interesting to see if maybe you start to get something out of him. Uh, Keyshawn Helton's back from injury, probably not a hundred percent back, but uh, is going to be there ready to contribute and ready to offer kind of a, you know, consistency and a guy that you can have a lot of faith in doing what's called on a particular play and, and give you something to build around. And then the new name that, uh, you know, I don't know is going to quite translate to the, to the hype that some have put around him here, but I still think a guy that you got to be really excited about, and you'll notice when he's on the field, that, uh, you know, Contron Portier is, uh, by all accounts, made a pretty, pretty strong impression on his, uh, on his time in camp so far. I, I'm fairly high on this position if they stay healthy, and I think it has some sneaky depth questions potentially if they don't stay healthy or, or if they don't stay COVID-free simply because of the next position, which we're going to talk about. But, but look, 
Tamar and Terry is, is a freaky good receiver. Now, his catch rate last year was low at just 57%. In, in fact, that was basically the worst on the team uh, amongst anybody who had double-digit targets. However, man, there were so many times last year where it was just, let's chuck it up, right? I mean, that's that, that to me contributes to the low catch rate that, that, that Terry had last year. His yards per catch were absolutely insane, uh, 19.8. Uh, and his yards per target, uh, 11.3, still led the team. So despite the fact that his catch rate was 57.1%, his yards per target uh, were, were pretty insane. He was targeted 105 times, and he had 60 catches for 1186 and nine touchdowns. Uh, and he, it, it, if you look at kind of like a shot chart, and have a color-coded one like, like, like I do, he's just like standing out in bright green, whereas nobody else is in green hardly at all, at least in terms of the guys who are returning. Um, I think teams will most likely double him pretty hard this year if they're able to, but they did that last year a good bit. You did not get Terry singled up that much all that often, yet last year at times he still beat some double teams. And if he draws double teams and is able to just equal what he did last year, I think Florida State would absolutely take that. If he can take yet another step and become a more well-rounded receiver, become a better route runner, become a better guy catching the ball over the middle, become a little bit better receiver on the short stuff, I think they would absolutely take that. But let's be real here. The one thing he does extremely well is get open deep, and he often comes down with the deep ball. I mean, I, I don't think that that catch rate is actually all that bad considering some of the desperation heaves which went down as quote-unquote targets right <laughs> you know to, to him and there was a lot of kind of desperation baked in there having Ontario Wilson back him up I think is a pretty solid backup looks like he actually joined the team uh, later on in camp so that's a, a positive development for FSU squad there Warren Thompson uh, in the depth chart released today a bit of a surprising name to see him starting I, I think because Mike Norbell had said a lot of nice things about Jordan Young Warren Thompson obviously had a very up and down uh, month of camp on and especially off the field. It seems like maybe some fences there have been mended. Our, our thoughts on that were, were pretty well known, I think, when, when we did our, uh, our podcast throughout the month. But if you, have, if you have Jordan Young as a backup, that's not the worst thing in the world. And who knows if this stays like it is. And if you make plays and the other guy doesn't make plays, you could easily get there. I also think Jordan Young... Uh, we know he's got some some work in the slot. Norvell occasionally wants to go with uh, with a little bit bigger slot guys to get to get some matchups there for some of their smash concepts, particularly, and also to help out with some of the interior blocking. Which again, we'll talk about tight ends in a second, uh, but that's something that's going to be very much needed here, most likely. Uh, so you, know, you you have you have that going on, and then Keyshawn Helton, by all accounts, his recovery has been much faster than everybody thought. I think he's fairly healthy. I'm not going to say he's like the healthiest guy in the world, but, and of course he could have used a, an offseason full of health to develop and, and you know, come in super strong. He's a slot, he's a slot receiver. I completely trust. And I actually think you could play him on the outside some too, just you got to understand he's probably not going to be the best deep ball guy because of your angles and, and, and his height and whatnot. And then with Kentron, uh, you know, Poitier, this might be a pretty good find for them. He, he may be a guy who is going to be able to help you some, as a true freshman, he didn't play a whole lot of high school football. Some of the clips he had last year were, were pretty nice. You can see why you know, maybe his rating as a recruit was not quite as high uh, as you know, maybe if you, if you had to re-rate him or something 
this might have been a pretty good find by, by Norvell and company uh, down there, and they, they took a chance on him. The, the big body and, and the frame and the speed combination relative to the frame is, is pretty impressive. I mean, we just listed off six guys. Their depth here is, is not particularly good, right? I mean, you have our Darius Dent, who is a, uh, a walk-on, obviously. Um, you know, Kendall Sheffield probably could, another walk-on who got a scholarship, probably could play some receiver if you had to have him do so. But other than that, man, like there's not a lot of names on this roster. You know, Brian Robinson, your, your, your true freshman uh, receiver as well. We'll see how he comes along. This is a position I do think that if you get COVID problems or health problems or, or injury problems, this could be this could be a, a real real sore spot for this team. Terry's got to stay healthy. Yeah, certainly uh, Terry is the is the one piece that you kind of work around and want to build around. He's also kind of the one piece that I would say that you have on this year's roster who has any kind of like broader national Q rating. Uh, uh, Marvin, I take that back. On this side of the ball, let me say that. Uh, if, you, if you're trying to, you know, individual awards don't matter. It's not something that you play for, but he's the only type of guy that I think really resonates nationally as far as name and maybe a guy that you can plan in a recruit's head and, and uh, kind of sell growing into somebody like that. So if Terry's available, I expect him to get the ball thrown to him an awful lot. I do think the biggest key for him, uh, as you mentioned, I don't want to be redundant, but making <clears throat> making the simple catch, you know, making, making the catch over the middle that means you get a nine or 13 yard game. Uh, you know, bring that in and uh, and make make the defenses, you know, not just sit there and, and wait for you to run a nine route. Now, to be fair, that it wasn't a mystery what he was doing a lot of times last year, and he still just ran by people. So he's got a he's got an incredibly unique skill set, but fascinating to see the overall evolution of the prospect and what ultimately becomes of him. Uh, we talked about it earlier. No DJ Matthews, man. There's just I mean, this doing these reviews have just made me realize, and not again, not that it was some special secret, but oh my God, the 2016 and 2017 classes just have so many uh, just just disasters in them that it's uh, it's ridiculous when going back and looking at it in hindsight. So Matthews is out and uh, we won't, uh, you know, at this time, not somebody that we're going to be spending any more attention. So, um, but that's it, right? I mean, we don't have anything else to look at. going to go ahead and wrap it here. Yeah, man. Going to open up this Kentucky Owl and, and, and enjoy it. Uh, pretty good preview of the offense. Very excited uh, to, to watch this team this year. And uh, as you can tell, it's probably a pretty uh, defensive-led team. Uh, we joke as we move into the tight ends and offensive line. Um, these are college kids, certainly all trying hard. We're not going to be too hypercritical of them, but these are these are going to be rough, rough areas. So we, we just got the Ingram Smith mm, like that. That you you know, you know what's coming. <laughs> There's a reason why they went out and and had tried to address the tight end position in the transfer market uh, or the transfer market uh, the transfer portal in aggressive as a manner as aggressive a manner as they did. And there's also an area that we're going to talk at the offensive line where they've tried to address it for two years now and haven't been able to, and it still has the potential to be a red-hot disaster. So anyways, we'll move to tight ends. McKinney takes his talents to Athens for a solo year. Be interesting to see how he does there. Wish him the best personally. Uh, but you got Cam McDonald. You got Wyatt Rector, which is a, a nice story, and a, a walk-on kid who certainly works his, works his rear end off and uh, will do his best to be a contributor. Not a whole lot of names to talk about, and just being objectively speaking here, 
tight end's a disaster. I mean, tight end is a, is an area where this coaching staff has been concerned about it from from day one, and I don't know that anything has happened to alleviate those concerns in the slightest. Tight end is the reason why you went out and and spent a transfer scholarship on Jordan Wilson. I think Ingram and I both got word very early on that uh, this staff thought their tight end room was a problem. They had hoped that Jordan Wilson could come in and be the starter, uh, especially because of his ability to block. And uh, ultimately, he ends up blowing his leg and is going to be out for the year. Maybe maybe he can play next year. I, I guess we'll see um, if he's able to come back healthy from that and, and still wants to pursue football uh, next year. But yeah, this, this is potentially a, a pretty big problem area. And specifically because Mike Norvell's offense wants to use the tight end more, uh, both in the run and pass game, than Kendall Bryles did. Bryles uh, was a little more forward at times uh, than, than this offense, uh, I was going to say will be, but what I should say is wants to be. Uh, remember Florida State in the offseason, they lost uh, tight end Trey McKitty last year, 23 catches, 241 yards, 10 and a half a catch, uh, 82% catch rate. So uh, last year, I mean, granted, a lot of these passes were not that difficult to catch for McKitty. Uh, you know, a lot of shorter stuff, oftentimes, I want to say uncontested, but not super traffic type stuff. Uh, 82% catch rate uh, led the team for anybody who had, had 20 uh, plus targets on the year. And so he is off to Georgia, where I think he's going to play a, a decent role for the dogs this year. Uh, they do have Cam McDonald last year, had six catches for 43 yards. Uh, I don't want to say that these numbers were not good last year as far as on a rate basis because, again, I'm, I'm evaluating six catches. That's, that's not enough. Kind of a smaller body, tight end, 6'4", 231 listed. Let's see if he has an update here. Because Florida State just put out a new roster. Uh, 6'4", 238 listed. So uh, if you believe FSU's new roster, he put on uh, seven pounds in the offseason. Certainly a better receiver than he is a blocker, uh, which is a concern. There's no doubt that Florida State is going to be hurt by the lack of blocking ability at the tight end position in 2020. Uh, the fact that both of your backups are walk-ons, or I, mean, I know Rector's technically on a scholarship now, but he's a converted quarterback who converted the tight end as a walk-on, right? Like, there's a reason that this staff thought this position could be really bad, and then when Wilson goes down, uh, I, I do believe that. Mike Norvell's staff wanted to try to hide the offensive line some this year. And maybe that they thought they could do that with the use of more tight ends, using a tight end more, or perhaps using multiple tight ends. Now, I have a very hard time thinking that it, it is a, it's the best use of your roster to be putting multiple tight ends on the field at one time, right? Like that's sort of multiple suboptimal type players on the field at the same time if you're doing that with this roster. So that's going to be an impediment, I believe, to what they want to do at times, which means you're probably going to have to run uh, more multi-back sets or more uh, you know, four-wide type stuff, which I don't think they want to do with James Blackman and this offensive line. You see, like, you see how this creates this kind of uh, cascade of problems like they know ideally what they want to do. They want to use more tight ends. They want to kind of protect the offensive line. They don't want to have to make James Blackman read four receivers. And, and not that you're reading four receivers at once, but you get my drift there. Th to me, that is problematic. Uh, and, and this position being a weakness as it is, I don't even want to think of what happens if, if you end up having a COVID situation here at the tight end position. Uh, 
because uh, I, I don't really remember a whole lot of these guys playing tight end in high school. I guess you could take, we, we know they're going to use freshman linebacker DJ Lundy some as a fullback uh, because he, he did play that some in high school. Maybe he'll use that a little bit more now that Wilson's out. Maybe you could use, like, I'm trying to think about what, what would they do in, in an emergency situation? You know, because we know, like, in an emergency situation, the offensive line, you just cancel the game, right? Emergency situation quarterback, again, if we saw, like, what the Big 12 put out as far as guidance, you just cancel the game. I don't think anybody's going to say, oh, no, tight end emergency, cancel the game. Like, that's not going to happen. We just saw Texas State the other day play without all three of their scholarship tight ends because they all had COVID or, or injuries. Maybe you could take, like, a Josh Griffiths and, and just ask him to block. Potentially, I'm just trying to think about body types here, who you could ask to come in and help you out. But there, there are two backups here: are Wyatt Rector, walk-on tight end, and Preston Daniel, another walk-on tight end. So that's, man, that's uh, that's a problem for sure. Uh, I, the The worst case scenario here is very bad, and the best case scenario is that is that uh, Cam McDonald stays healthy all year and turns into a receiving threat and a passable blocker. Lundy would probably be another emergency name I would throw in at that position. You just move them up to, up to more like an H-back role rather than fullback, you think? This is going to put them in some personnel packages that they, that they just frankly don't want to run. But they don't have other options. Like, like, would you rather run four wides or would you rather run McDonald and maybe sometimes Rector out there? I, it's kind of a catch-22. Whether you've got a, a glaring hole in your business that needs to be improved or, uh, or you just think you can generally optimize uh, what's out there, we would certainly encourage you to talk to our friends at Congruity HR and experience your business optimized. Highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risks. Congruity strives to create value for customers by delivering a truly unique client-centric experience that helps them accomplish their goals inspires performance, engages their employees on a more personal level, and fosters a positive culture. Uh, again, they created a special email for our listeners. It's Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com, or you can reach them via phone, 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100. Asked to speak with our friend Matt Lewis. Uh, thank you again to the good people at Congruity. Very fortunate to be able to work with them. <laughs> I guess we have to. We're, we're not laughing at the offensive line. We're just laughing at the situation. Florida State's offensive line last year, uh, we set out that they needed to go from horrendous to just flat bad, which was actually a pretty decent step. I think it's debatable as to whether they took that step. There were some areas uh, in which we believe they were actually uh, able to take some steps. But overall, uh, the, you can only do so much with, with the personnel that Florida State has. Uh, they did try to address the the, uh, the offensive line room in the offseason in the form of transfers. They, they had talks with a number of offensive tackle transfers, and they landed uh, none of the top targets, really. They ended up getting Devontae Love-Taylor to come in from FIU. He was one of the better offensive linemen, I think, in FIU's league. However, that's FIU. They don't have good quality defensive lineman in that league at all. What he's going to face at Florida State and on this schedule is just a huge step up. And, and body-wise, he might be somebody who's a little bit more uh, equipped to play guard than tackle, but, but out of necessity, uh, because Florida State did whiff in the transfer portal as far as getting an impact tackle. As it turns out, impact tackles typically want to play for teams which uh, are probably going to compete for like you know conference titles. Uh, 
they, they were able to get Love Taylor. So that's where we should start here with the off to tackle position. Uh, you, you get Darius Washington in the second year, and you get Devontae Love Taylor, who uh, is potentially going to be here for two years if he decides to come back and use that extra year of COVID eligibility. Am I crazy to think that this position might actually be upgraded from where it was last season? Uh, I don't know that you're crazy for thinking that. I mean, I, I do think <laughs> the positive, the, the problem is as soon as you start to speak in like the smallest amounts of positive uh, natures, it sounds like you're building somebody up. I think Darius Washington is a really solid piece and somebody that you can kind of build around. And if he's healthy, have a reasonable amount of confidence that you just won't get embarrassed at that position. So do you think he, he will block the guys who are like average or below? Like you have reasonable confidence he can just handle those guys and we're not going to get exposed by somebody who you never hear from again. I think he can. And I think he can get a, you know, reasonably uh, get a stalemate against guys that are maybe above average at a, at a, at a frequency, which is not embarrassing, uh, which has not been a skill set that you've had at, at tackle for a while. Love Taylor. It's tough, man. I mean, um, I, you make a great point and you're accurate that uh, what he played at FAU was not what he'll see. Uh, although he did play very well against Miami. Now, look, you're not going to get the effort and focus when you're at FIU and you're playing Miami that you would when you, when you got a spear on the side of your helmet. It's going to be different. It's going to be a very different game uh, blocking you know similar pieces. But there's at least hope that, uh, that you can get something from him there. Uh, so if those are your two pieces and they can stay healthy and they can avoid testing positive or getting false positives or whatever else, uh, or contact tracing and all the things that can kind of take you out of games this year, I think you, you'll be average at the tackle position. I think that's a kind of a, a safe expectation. If you can be average at the tackle position, if you stay healthy, which obviously is a big assumption, that is a big upgrade from where you were last year, in my opinion. I mean, you've had two years running where you had arguably the worst off-tackle starters in the league. Like numbers, like numbers 27 and 28, as far as overall ranked guys. Well, you were, I mean, we were looking at stats where you were, would you have three of the worst linemen in the, in the country? And we're talking about 838 guys or whatever it was two years ago. I mean, yeah, I think it was three of the worst eight out of like, yeah, out of 800 or something. That's okay. Ridiculous. I mean, we talked about it. You know, your, your offensive tackle was basically a and one highlight tape for defensive ends for, for two years now. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being way too optimistic, but I, I think you can get average offensive line play from these two guys if they stay healthy and as they grow into the position as the season matures. Uh, and, you know, Georgia Tech's not a pushover, but Georgia Tech's the, the team that you would want to play in game one. And Georgia Tech's kind of the team that you would, they're, they're an ACC team with, with uh, you know, power five scholarships to give, and they've got some decent pieces, but that's a, a team that you should not get blown over by. Uh, that's a team that you should kind of, you know, the first two weeks step, grow into the position and, and be slightly more prepared for some of these rosters that are further down your, in your schedule that are just going to kick your ass. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how much they progress throughout the year. I, I agree with you there. Um, I, I do think your qualifier of if they stay healthy is important because I do think the depth here at this position with backups like Chaz Neal, uh, who I, I'm not going to believe it until I see it in a game against somebody decent. I, I'm, I'm not buying into the hype. We heard the same hype last year. Uh, and then Robert Scott, who's a, a true freshman out of out of Arkansas, um, neither of which I really believe are 
are, are ready to come in and, and make an impact if they do have to play. Uh, but I will uh, share this important note. Last year, Ingram, uh, starting offensive line against Louisiana Monroe, uh, Juwan Williams and Ryan Roberts. Do you think that Love Taylor can be as good or slightly better than Ryan Roberts? I think it's possible. I think he can be as good as Ryan Roberts. I do. I, I think those are somewhat similar pieces. Uh, you know, Roberts was a kid that won a guaranteed starter in IU, but had done well against uh, Florida State. We knew there was some, you know, some something to work with there, but at the same time, was shown to be limited, uh, very limited at times. So, yeah, and uh, I'm just not going to talk about Williams to avoid slandering a kid. I mean, we've we've made our opinion known as to it's not slander if it's true to what I yeah, will say. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. no need to keep blasting. Thank you, Mister uh, Mister Attorney. There, you are correct. Uh, but I am confident that 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 Darius Washington is an upgrade over guys like Jay Williams, Juwan Williams, or Abdul Bello. So if they stay healthy, yeah, I think this is a, a upgraded group. I can't say that they're going to be an average group because I, I think you have to factor in some injuries, most likely, because uh, this position gets banged on. And I don't, I have very little confidence the backups can play at all. So if you kind of average that in, the goal here this year is to get to below average offensive line play. If, I, if I'm looking back at our notes from uh, basically the second week of September 2018, the course upon which we set this goal for was to get to below average offensive line play by 2020. Uh, I would say they're probably slightly behind in that endeavor for right now, uh, given the you know, some of the recruiting that's gone on, the lack of ability to get legit tackles. Uh, but overall, I think they're moving in the right direction slowly. Now, here's an interesting one for you. Death chart comes out today. Mike Norvell and company had been speaking highly of, uh, of, of the offensive line maybe trying to build up some of their confidence. James Blackman said some really positive things about the offensive line, which I would expect nothing, nothing less, but I don't really read into that that much. But your starting guards, Dante Lucas, who comes off that, that brutal leg injury, he's been healthy all camp. Obviously, you wish he could have been fully healthy throughout the offseason because I, I think he's a guy who, if he had not had that leg injury, could maybe take a big step for you this year. Whereas now, personally, I think if he can just take a... a Modic, you know, like, like a, a small size step, maybe a medium size step, you're gonna be pretty happy because he didn't get that real off season of of working out, right? Because he was rehabbing. Uh, you get him, and then Davion Johnson, big bodied guy who is a uh, who's a senior for you, and he'd been playing center for a lot of camp, and ultimately ends up playing guard. So, what, what is this? What do you read into this about, about him starting at guard and uh, and Brady Scott being uh, a backup there? Old Bavion, baked chicken Johnson, as he'll always be in my mind. Um, I think it's a positive thing. <laughs> it's, it's the old, the old recruiting story. I think it's a, I think it's a positive sign that Mo Smith is your center. I do. I, I think that's a good sign that that kid came in and and won that position and and maybe pushed Johnson elsewhere. And Scott, uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie to our listeners that he's some kind of great piece, but I do think there's a a little bit of a known quantity there. And if that's a backup, then I feel, I feel okay at the inside of the line. I think you make a great point that, that really Lucas, Lucas was robbed. This, this was a year where if he continued what he was doing last year, he was healthy. He was able to move forward. Then we weren't just talking about a guy that would stalemate. That's a guy that you could potentially build your line around. That's a guy that could potentially get push on uh, a decent amount of the league. 
I'm not sure he's quite there yet. It may be a guy that, you know, in game one or two, well, when you're judging the, who will be playing in games one and two, I don't know that you'll see a jump from, from later in the season. But I think a guy that will continue to get better, grow into his, his body, and, and, you know, maybe next year's the year that you see the big jump for Lucas, where uh, that's probably not going to occur otherwise. But to answer your question, I think if Smith's starter and he was decent enough to uh, give you confidence to put him at center, that you could slide baby on over to guard, that, uh, you know, I read that as nothing but a positive. I think Smith is a, a guy w- with a positive floor. Uh, I'm not going to rule out Dante Lucas making a jump this year, but I think if he does make a jump, it's going to be due to uh, comfort and just more comfort knowledge as a college football player. I'm not going to say like he has a bunch of comfort in Mike Norbell's system because it's fairly new, but he was a true freshman last year. He was swimming. Right now, this is kind of old hat to him. I just wish we could have seen the big physical transformation and jump from year one to year two, but uh, coming off a brutal leg injury, rehabbing plus COVID is not really the ideal recipe uh, for that, <laughs> unfortunately. And that you did start Baby on Johnson over Brady Scott might tell you that you really like his blocking, but like most Smiths snapping and getting the calls right and then, you know, kind of the mental aspect of it better than you did Johnson. So maybe they value, value Johnson's bulk and, and, and his blocking as opposed to some of the elements of the center position. I'd be interested to see if, if Smith went down. Would they actually play Baselli there or would they play Johnson there? You don't have it in, in examples on this new updated Florida State depth chart. I don't think, scanning it here, where the, the starter at one position is listed as a backup at another, which practically we know is what happens. Like if one of the tackles went down. Would they actually play Chaz Neal or Robert Scott, or would they throw Brady Scott out there? Uh, I, I don't know. I think that's a valid question. Two freshmen listed on the depth chart, Thomas Schrader and Robert Scott. I think those are two names that the staff, though, feels like are going to be hits for them. Maybe not home runs, but at least base hits for them on a recruiting trail, which is something that this team and roster has lacked uh, in recent years, in my opinion, on the recruiting trail on the offensive line. Although we should note that Murray Smith, starting as a second-year guy, uh, is perhaps an indication that that he might be a hit for them. And Darius Washington might be a hit. I, Your guards last year, I mean, Louisa Monroe game, Brady Scott, Dante Lucas. I, do I feel better about Babyon Johnson, Dante Lucas year two, Dante, than I do last year's guards? Slightly? Yeah, probably. Um, I think they, they, they could make fewer mental mistakes maybe than, than they did last year. Depth there last year, Mike Arnold was a backup. Mike Arnold played a lot of snaps last year. Unfortunately, he was not very good. And Christian Armstrong, who uh, just really was never never able to uh, to kind of get with it and then stay healthy. Man, I think it's possible they can get to below average this year. I, I don't know if I'm ready to project that, but I think it's possible they could. Like, I don't think they're that far off from getting to that below average mark that, that we thought could be reasonable they could hit by 2020. I mean, three years ago or two years ago now. We'll just have to see, man. I mean, you know, every every position that we talk about, you can you can talk about if they stay healthy and no what it looks like. I think you've got some decent pieces here. I think Baselli could fill in for a game or two. I think, uh, like you said, I think they they like what they have with Strader, but I think you're still, um, you know, you're a year away, and and you're a year away with having more success in the transfer portal for this position to be talked about anything other than us trying to uh, 
you know, sneakily skip over it at the end of the offensive preview. So, uh, you know, Atkins, we think the world of, uh, just because we acknowledge that, you know, he's not Clements at this point in his career doesn't mean that we don't think Florida State's got a, a good piece there, maybe even a great piece. Uh, but he's got a hell of a lot of work to do. Not that he needs me to tell him that or anybody else. Uh, and it'll be fascinating to see. I, I do think that in time, they'll turn this over. I think it'll be a fun project to watch, similar to the way that, you know, watching Clint Tri- or Rick Trickett work with 262-pound tackles his first year in there and, and things like that and how that slowly transferred over time. But this is, uh, this is still an awful lot of work to be done at this position. Below average, yeah, I, I think they'll get there. I do. All right, so let's get to the big question. We need to define some expectations. I think we're running well over an hour here, but this has been a, an interesting discussion. I, I really didn't want to cut this into two shows, mainly because I feel like there's a lot of interconnectivity with these positions that matter, right? Like, okay, yeah, I think your top line receivers might be pretty damn good. And Warren Thompson being a starter is a good indication that maybe he could bust out for you. And I think his ceiling is obviously very high. And that's cool that he's listed as a starter after the stuff that happened between he and, and, and the staff and the social media crap. Might have to play those guys more because of the tight ends. And the offensive line is going to be put on an island probably much more than it wants to because of what they have personnel-wise. And who knows how, how much two-back uh, stuff they'll actually elect to run, especially out of the gun. What can they get out of James Black? I mean, th- these are a lot of questions that we're going to be interested in finding the answers to. I'm going to throw this to you. Last year, they ranked 49th nationally in, in SP Plus offense. Now, I don't really know if we're going to be able to have a national SP Plus this year simply because we don't like, there's no non conference games being played. There's no interconnectivity between conferences. So, really, the only, only place you're going to be able to look, I think, is kind of like, where did this team rank last year within the conference, right? My, my guess is that a lot of these advanced metrics are going to turn, they'll probably try to approximate something nationally, but they're probably going to be just, just pretty damn good within the league because of so much interconnectivity in the league. But I'm not totally convinced they're going to be, be any worth a damn like comparing a, a team from one conference to that of another. So let's go ahead and just take a look at this. Last year, Florida State in conference-only games, they were eighth in yards per play at 5.55. Now this year, we should acknowledge the schedule is a little bit harder than last year's in terms of a conference schedule, I think. You don't get what, Florida State doesn't get Cuse and they don't get Wake, which might be the two worst teams in the league this year, depending on, on whose projections you uh, you like. Are you going to go over or under five and a half yards of play and, you know, dead ass even? Because they were, they were basically tied with, with Virginia between seventh and eighth last year. I'll go under. I'll go under here. Uh, under meaning worse? Because obviously you could say under. Yes, yeah, so less than less than five and a half. Uh, I, as a guess, YPP for the year, uh, but I guess around five one. I think I'm also going to go under. And looking at what they had last year, you know, they had some games that were just they were pretty damn low, right? You you had uh, obviously the Miami game, two point nine four per play. People say, why, why, why do you guys think Miami is going to be favored in that game? Well, that would be one of the reasons, right? You didn't hit three yards of play against their defense last year. Louisville, they had a pretty good nice one. Virginia, they were under five. That was a pretty good Virginia defense. Clemson, 4.36. NC State, they were actually pretty poor. Uh, Wake, they, Wake held them to 5.04. Uh, 
but yet they had some huge explosions uh, on offense against Boston College, 9-1-9. Um, they had a what 6-9-6 against Louisville. I, I'll go slightly better than you, Ingram, but yeah, I, I don't think that they hit the five and a half yards per play in conference, Mark. I'll, I'll say like five point, I don't know, 5.4. And this is a total guess because a decent bit of this, let's be real, is going to be like, how do you do in the COVID lottery? Because if you stay healthy all year, if you got your guys all year, there's a good chance you exceed this. If you don't, then there's a good chance you don't. Tennessee just had 44 guys held out of practice this weekend due to COVID stuff. TCU has already had to cancel their game against SMU because they're under the 53-man COVID, COVID number. I mean, this is... We give these predictions. Normally, I like to review our predictions. This year, I, I probably want to burn them as soon as we publish this because I just don't know who's going to play. From week to week, I, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. It's like, okay, this is kind of complicated. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think slightly under. Um, it's a difficult schedule of opposing defenses this year. And I, I think you have a lot of potential depth problems in addition to installing a brand new scheme uh, in probably the worst year in modern history that you could be a year one head coach. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Just, uh, you know, I, I don't expect an improvement overall. Again, do look to see you know, better, better overall run uh, machine in general, try to just eliminate some of the, you know, the, the kill shots that we have allowed as much as possible uh, to our quarterbacks and, and frequently James over the years and, and seeing James operate in a manner that makes this offensive line look as good as possible, you know, frequently. And you just talked about the interconnectivity so much of what we judge the offensive line by, just as a TV audience, just as somebody sitting on our couch on Saturday night, or let's face it, this Florida State, you know, not too many primetime Saturday night uh, games the past two years for Florida State. But, uh, you know, watching 3.30 on your couch is an awful lot of it goes into what the quarterback does pre-snap. And, and you know, they can do as much as possible to make James look good, and, and James can do as much as possible to try to, you know, minimize some of the tough situations that the offensive line finds itself in. So uh, I will be very interested in seeing kind of how we can watch that, how we can manage that, evaluate that. Um, it's just going to be a group that's limited. And from everybody, from the head coach to the to the quarterbacks, got to do all they can to try to operate with the pieces that they have and, and try to piece it together as much as possible throughout the season. So. Challenge is certainly present when it comes when you're talking about an awful lot of pieces on the offense. All right, buddy. I will talk to you very soon because we're going to have our listener questions episode and we're then you're going to have our uh, Georgia Tech preview episode. So all these things are something we're going to need to do. All right. I will see you soon. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.